Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Tonight we're going to continue on um, kind of what we started last week when we were talking about prayer. But just before we do that, I uh, had an opportunity today to go to um, a memorial service for a... um, with a friend of mine uh, this afternoon and play as his wife sang and they talked about the memory of his grandmother who passed away um, several weeks ago and they've just now been able to get the family together to have a memorial service and I sat today and and I have admittedly never met this woman my wife met her actually once um, but I sat there and watched a slideshow of her life and the day that you know they brought her home from the hospital, and I think she was 75 when she passed away this year, and so she had a nice, full life, you know, very, very, um, very strong woman of faith. And I watched as I, I watched this woman as I, um, uh, on the slideshow. It took probably like five or seven minutes, and I watched her grow in these pictures and get into high school and. All the, you know, the swoop and the bob cuts, you know, back in the 50s and stuff like that. And I watched all the fashion change. But I watched this one, the intensities in this woman's face. I watched her um, uh, remain remarkably consistent. And um, every person that stood up at the eulogy and made some type of statement today said, this woman is a absolute strong woman of faith. She just was a rock. She didn't talk a lot, but when she did, she did not come weak. She came straight and correct and told you what she felt like the Lord had put on her heart. And I sat there and um, I watched my friend, I watched my friend cry as he, as he got up to share some of the memories he had about his grandmother. And I watched um, every person stand up after him and go, man, I cannot. It's so hard to speak after that because I remember everything you said. The <clears throat> moments that he relived when he would swim in the pool as a young child and having to get the chance to have his kids swim in that same pool over the summer and have these memories that he kind of had. And, I, and I, as I sat there, I, I, I looked across the room. This room was just full of people at this chapel. And there are more than 100 people there, and they asked for anyone to stand up that wanted to say something. And they would just stand up and talk about, I'm here because that woman prayed with me. I'm here because this woman kind of went out of her way to say something to me. I'm holding this Bible that I was given in 1968 where she prayed for me when I accepted the Lord and wrote down her famous saying is that God's in control. And I sat there and, and, I, and I watched the impact this lady had on all of these lives. And I watched my friend and I watched his kids. And I thought, what a gift life really is. And as I sat there and realized, you know, just, just was reminded of the gift that life is, that God really has given us a gift of life. He created us out of joy, out of pleasure. We've kind of taken our own roads, right, and, and ran right into pain, and that's not how he designed all of us to operate, but he has not only given us a gift of life, which is everything, he gave us a gift of salvation on top of it, and that gift of salvation is like 
be excessive of all excessive gifts. And as I was driving home, I thought, man, God, you not only gave me life, you gave me a way to be reconciled to you. And then on top of that, he gave us his word. He gave us his spirit. And as I began to drive home, I just thought about all the gifts on top of life, on top of salvation, on top of all these things that, that we have access to that really are gifts. And I thought just for a second as I drove home and I just kind of couldn't compose myself for a few minutes, I said, thank you, God. Thank you for the the extravagance and abundance of gifts that he's given us. This last week and this week, we've talked about prayer and prayer can become a very regimented thing for people who are, who are believers or Christ followers or Christians. It can become part of your quote unquote religious duty, our religious duty as people who are, so, who are trying to follow Christ. And then as I was coming home today and thinking about the message, I just thought, man, what a gift God's given us a prayer. Not only has he given us the gift of life, a gift of salvation, and a gift of his word, he has given us a way to talk directly to him to help us navigate the life that he's given us, to live correctly the salvation he sent his son for us and bought for us. And now on top of his word and on top of relationships and on top of family and on top of friends, he gives us another avenue to walk directly into his room and say, I need your help and everything else stops. Are you kidding me? The gift that God has given us of prayer that we're going to continue to talk about today. But I, I just, when I came home, I thought, man, not only has he orchestrated my life, he is saying, hey, I got all the cheat codes. It's him. Now, I don't remember if this was Mario Brothers or whatever, but remember the cheat code, like up, up, down, down, left, left, right, right on the controller. You know, you hit start, start, select, select or whatever, and you had like a million lives. That's the cheat code. He's the cheat code. He wants to talk to you. He wants to talk to me. He wants to talk to us. The man, who, the, the creator of everything who gave you the gift of life, the gift of salvation, the gift of family, the gift of his word also says, I want to talk to you. We can't do anything for him. We can't give anything to him that he doesn't already have. He is self-sustaining. But because he is love, he says, I want you. And I don't know about you, but when I drove back home today and I thought about prayer, I thought, God, what a gift to be able to have the human soul correspond and connect to and speak to the creator of the soul. We talked about last week how it wasn't, you know, prayer is not us demanding something of God. We have no right to do that. But the power of prayer is, relies in the fact that who we're praying to because he has all the power. And on top of all the things that we face in life and we can deal with, and that I watched my friend walk through today, and I saw these people cry as they, as they said goodbye in kind of a memorial ceremony to their, to their grandmother, their mother, their sister, their friend. I thought, what a gift it was for her to walk through her life and to be able to open her word and to kneel down beside her bed or wherever she was and converse with the creator. What a gift we have been given. For me, I'm a rule follower kid, legalistic, you know, church background, and prayer was the, 
You've got to do it. You've got to do it or you're not a believer. And so I would ask my mom. I, I, I did this when I was a kid. Ask my mom, how do I, how do I not fall asleep in prayer? Because I'd get up in the morning and I'd fall asleep. And she goes, you find the most uncomfortable place you can sit. And you sit there. And I said, really? Like, for real? This is what your recommendation is? Like, she goes, yeah. I said, where's the most uncomfortable spot for you to sit? She goes, on the side of the bathtub. And so I, the next morning, like an idiot, like I, I went to the bathtub and I sat on the edge of the tub. And the only thing different was that I almost fell in the tub when I fell asleep. And the only other, the second thing that was different was my butt hurt when I was trying to pray. And I focused on how bad my butt hurt. And I couldn't even pray in that either. So I was like, this doesn't work either. <laughs> because it was a religious duty that had to be done. It was not a conversation with the creator of my soul. That right there shifts my perspective on prayer to go, I'm talking to the one who made me, designed me to be standing where I'm at. Who's put me in the family that I have, with the son that I have, with the wife that I have. And if I need to know how to love her better or love him better or do something that he's calling me to do, he has opened up the phone line and said, anytime, boy, you just pick it up. To me, I am astounded by that. And what I want us to do today is realize before we even start and before we go through a couple points about prayer today, what a gift we've been given to converse with the creator, to talk to him. That right there blows my mind. I can talk to him at any point in time. All it is is a sincere heart to say, God, I need you. And bam, he's right there. Who am I to deserve that? Nobody. That's how good he is. So last week we talked about what prayer was. It's conversing with God. It's talking to Him. It's having direct access to Him. We talked about what it's not. It's not um, reflection and you know the 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 really reflective moments that we have. It's a it's us as kids having direct access to our dad at any time that we need it. And so what I want to do is I want to, with that in mind, and <clears throat> with that. Uh, that idea of what a gift that prayer is, I want to talk about five more things this week that should propel us and kind of reshape and correct our scriptural view of what prayer should be, okay? So number one on your notes. As we go a little bit deeper here, number one in your notes is this, we should, and that blank is keep, keep praying. We should keep praying. Anybody in this room have ever prayed for something for a very long time or a person for a very long time? Me and Nina have been doing this for years. And we have been praying for a fulfillment of what we believe is a promise for years. Um, It has nothing to do with the church or anything like that. It just has something to do with what we feel like we're we're really asking God for as his kids, something according to his will. And we have, there's moments where we've prayed for this for years, and there's moments where I've actually sat at my little spot at Chick-fil-A up on the 101 and I-17 in the mornings when I get to, when I, when I do all my stuff right and have enough time to go sit up there. Um, I sit there, and sometimes I, as I'm beginning to pray for the same thing over and over and over again, I go, should I give this one a rest? 
like, has God already heard this one? Like, it's kind of dominating some of my prayer time here. And so me and Nina pray together for this thing. We pray, we pray apart for this thing. And, and as I was sitting a couple, several weeks ago, I ran across the scripture that I want to read together in Luke chapter 18. And, it's, and it pushed me into the position of, I had to text Nina, and I'm like, look at the scripture. We're doing the right thing by continuing to ask for the things that are according to God's will. Watch. Luke chapter 18, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. This is probably not the way I thought Jesus' story was going to start, right? Like about somebody who didn't fear God and didn't care about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I am going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, Learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Learn a lesson from the unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? The next line I want you to, in your notes, I want you to, to write down after this statement is this, if you are praying for someone or for the Lord to reveal himself or his ways to you, be sure to ask continually. Be sure to ask continually. Do not stop. I'm going to encourage you to ask him every day. Ask him multiple times a day. If you have a spouse, pray with your spouse. When you leave, pray by yourself. If you've got kids and you're praying for something, pray with them. Pray with your parents, whoever it is, your friends, your aunts, your uncles, whoever it is. Get with them and pray and continue to bombard heaven for what you're after because Jesus says, learn from this. This guy, the unjust judge, he got so tired of being asked the same thing over and over and over. And this unjust judge finally gave in to give this woman what she was asking for, the justice against her enemy that she was asking for. How much more does a loving God who wants to talk to you, is he going to be willing to give you that after your repeated request by his children? Keep praying Keep asking. It's obeying what Jesus is telling us to do. I'm not talking about, God, let these lottery numbers hit. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about justice. God, I want you to make this wrong right. I'm looking for this person in my life to be saved, to be healed, to come to know you. I need to know your will in this scenario. Fill in whatever the blank is. As long as you're trying to do what he wants to do, he is inclined to answer after our repeated requests. Number two, we must not pray for show. We must not pray for show. 
Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. This is Jesus again talking to his disciples. <clears throat> when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward. I'm sorry, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask them. Now, um, this is still can be a problem today, but not as big as it was during that cultural time. What happened was the Pharisees were these religious, the Jewish religious leaders that would go from different places, different synagogues, different temple positions, different areas of the streets where they could be seen, and they would pray, and it was almost like a speech. It was almost who could be the best orator, who could give the best um, um, analogy in the prayer, who could pray the longest, who could sound the most eloquent, and people would look at them and go, wow, that dude can really pray. And it would make them, the people who were listening to them, feel inferior. And it was almost as if these Pharisees were in a competition to make everybody else feel stupid and to puff up themselves. That view, as we just read in that scripture, the people who look at them and go, man, that guy can pray. That little bit of recognition is all they get, all they ever receive. The Pharisees actually went a step further, and if you um, do some study historically, what you'll find is that on their garments and on their clothing, and sometimes it was on a headdress, they would take a, a small box, so think a tissue box for an example, a small tissue box, and they would either tie it to, their, to the, the arms of their jacket, tie it directly to their arm, to a headband, and what they would do is they would walk around and pray. And when they would pray, they would write down parts of their prayer, They'd fold it up on a piece of paper and put it in the box. And they would literally walk around. And when they would walk, excuse me, when they would walk around, you could hear these things moving inside of their prayer box. And you could see it from a distance. You could see that if they had all these prayers stuffed in that headband, you could see how much they had prayed. And it was a moment for them to almost show off, look how much I'm praying. It became um, a show for religious significance to other people. Jesus is saying, the guys who do this and act like this, they're not trying to converse with their father. They're trying to stand on a, their own self-platform and say, look how well I'm doing. And the people who do that are the ones who Jesus says, they'll never have anything answered for them. We must not be the people who want to pray, want to have some type of religious service so it can be seen by other people. We have to be the people who desperately just want the heart of God. And in that moment, we have the actual potential for our prayers to be heard and answered. And that last line, Pharisees actually tied prayer boxes to themselves and wrote down prayers and put them in the box. It was a display of arrogance it was a display of arrogance 
the next part of that scripture um, will advise us to this next part in your notes. There is no secret formula to prayer. There is no secret formula to prayer. We find this over and over and over in Scripture. But look at what Jesus says about halfway through that Scripture in Matthew chapter 6. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. So the Gentiles he's referring to, all of us are Gentiles, unless anybody in the room is Jewish I didn't know about. But anyone who's not Jew is a Gentile. And in that culture, at that point in time, uh, the the Roman uh, Empire was pantheistic, which means... They had a hundred different gods. The funny thing is they actually referred to Christians as atheists because they denounced all the other gods and only worshipped one, the one true God. So here, they would do all kinds of weird things. Some people would kneel down. Some people would stand up. Some people would kneel down and stand up. They would face certain directions. They had certain things they would have to say at certain times of the day. Certain times of the year, you had to pray to certain types of gods. They had all these crazy rules, and they would just repeat all these things over and over again because they wanted the gods, the culture, wanted the gods to hear them. What Christ is telling us here, do not be like those people who worship all these other gods. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. There is no system. First, you got to fold your hands. And then next, you got to kneel down. And then next, you got to close your eyes. And then the next thing you got to do is say, um, you have to pray the, the, the joy thing. Have you ever heard this? This is how I was taught to pray as a kid. J-O-Y, Jesus, others, you. So it was the only way you could pray. You had to start, and after you, you had to talk about Jesus first. So to have joy in my life, I had to pray, and I had to acknowledge Jesus, J. And O, I had to pray for other people. And I thought I was really spiritual because I prayed for the president, who I didn't vote for at that time. And then why was yourself, and if you had any like a little bit of energy left over or time, you just wedge in a couple personal prayers, and then bam, I did all this right, boom, I got joy, and I can go on to my thing. It became very regimented, right? And we all laugh, but that's exactly what I did. I thought that was the right way to do it. How many steps do we think we have to jump through? How many hoops do we have to jump through? How many steps do we have to accomplish to to believe ourselves that we've prayed. I'm not a big fan of books that say, for the next 40 days, you're going to read this devotion, and at the end of it, you're going to pray this prayer. Because it almost becomes, I'm not saying those things are wrong if you like those. And if the Lord's done something in your life to help you um, uh, accomplish something or conquer something or teach you something with it, great. Use whatever he's, he's put in front of you. I'm personally not a fan because what it does is it, puts us in a position of to look at the author and go, they have some kind of insight that I don't have. They have some kind of way to pray or a certain scripture that I got to, to run in there. And no, they don't. You got a father who says, come in the door here with me. Scripture continually or consistently points us away from a system, a system of doing things right 
Scripture consistently points us away from a system of doing things right and towards a heart that is truly repentant and submitted to Christ. There are not 12 steps to your breakthrough. There are not nine steps to a financial miracle. There are not 40 days of, of um, uh, certain prayers you got to pray to break a habit. No. There is you and your Father, and He wants to talk to you. If we can undo any type of system that we think we have to um, uh, fulfill before we get into this position of prayer and just go in with a heart that is open to our God and to our Father, those are the prayers that He's looking to answer. Not because we did all the things right and we followed all the steps. You with me? Number three, we must pray from a posture. We must pray from a posture of humility. We must pray from a posture of humility. Luke chapter 18. Before I get into Luke chapter 18, I want to explain to you one of the characters in this particular passage. Um, and one of them is a tax collector. Now, we look at tax day, right? Like April 15th, everybody dreads it. Everybody hates the taxes that are coming out of their check. No one wants to be the dreaded IRS called to audit us. You know what I mean? That's enough of an issue for us. But during the time of the Roman Empire, um, there was an excessive amount of taxes. There were, anytime anything was imported or exported, there was at least a 30% tariff put on the goods that were exported or imported into the country or into the empire of Rome. When Rome had its own levy of taxes against its own people, but when they would conquer different areas like Israel, like Jerusalem, like many parts of the Middle East and up into the, up and actually to, into parts of Europe, when they would conquer those areas, they would put an extra tax on those people. There was actually um, several extra taxes, but two that they were forced to pay continually. One of them was just a tax to, um, to Rome because they had to fund this massive military. At one point in time, they had 400,000 men in, in military service. And they had this massive military that had to be supported. So you were actually paying taxes to the people who were inhabiting your country. And you were paying them to keep all the soldiers who were keeping you in line in line. You were almost paying for your oppression. The second tax that you had was um, one directly to Caesar. To actually, you had to give money. So let's say that, you know, some nation comes in, China comes in and overruns America, and they put taxes on us, and we have to pay a specific tax to an emperor. That's what um, everyone in the conquered territories of the Roman Empire had to do as well. So what Rome would do was they would hire somebody who was from the area. So in this particular instance, these tax collectors they kept referring to, everyone hated them because not only were they collecting taxes for their oppressors to give money to a king, to do all these things. They didn't want to be conquered or oppressed anyway. They were forced to pay money. They got a Jew, a man who was of the Jewish descent, 
to be the person who would collect the money. So you would have someone who you thought was, hey, we're all same, same team, same flesh and blood here, same, same, uh, same history, same demographics, same everything that we're here from, and I got to give you the money? And what was worse is these guys were crooked. So you're going to play the role of the tax collector, okay? So even though Matthew was a tax collector, I'm not going to, well, okay. Um, so, <clears throat> so I'm the tax collector, okay? I'll be the tax collector in the story, so I can take you off the hook, right? I'm going to say, hey, Arlena, your tax today is $100. So give me your tax, and you hand me the $100. You hand me $100. You hand, okay, hand me $100. And so I go back to my log here and I go, all right, Arlena. And then I write down $50 and I put the 100 bucks in my back pocket and I come to you and go, hey, where's that other 50? You only gave me 50 bucks. And you said, what are you talking about? I gave you $100. No, it's 50 and I wrote down 50 right here. And so they would do little shady things like that to rip off the people. So the tax collectors were people everybody hated. They were the dredge of humanity. No one wanted to deal with them. They didn't want, they felt like they were being betrayed by their own people. You understand that the climate for the tax collectors? Okay, now, Luke chapter 18, verse nine. <clears throat> then Jesus told a story to someone who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. So this is gonna be good. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, it's a religious leader, and the other was a despised tax collector. See, the religious leader, tax collector, supposed to be this really good guy and this really bad guy. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, I'm not like these other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance, dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Listen to what Jesus says. I tell you, this sinner, the tax collector, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The most brilliant seminary graduate with scriptural knowledge and theological insight and degrees does not override the sincerity of heart from an average person when it comes to talking to God. <clears throat> Doesn't matter how much we know or how much we try to appear that we're doing well, the prayer of the sincere heart is what breaks through to the heart of our God. Number four, we're asking for the wrong things. <clears throat> we're asking for the wrong things. How many of you have ever heard the scripture in church, um, you have not because you asked not? That's me too, right? So I asked for the lottery numbers. <laughs> you know, I'm like, hey, shoot. I mean, if, 
give me the numbers. Like, I'm asking for them here. You told me to ask for them. You know, I'm asking for the, you know, the whatever payoff there is. I'm asking for whatever, you know. I don't, I don't have to be the Powerball. It can be the little local one. You know what I mean? It ain't got to be 180 million. It can just be four. You know what I mean? I'm good. We'll all be good. We're going to eat really. We're going to have more than just donuts next week. You know what I mean? James 4, 1 through 3. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. That's where it always stopped for me. And so I was like, well, let me ask. Dang it. Well, I'm asking. I'm asking for, hey, I need, I need my truck painted. You know what I mean? Like I, that, that little white paint is chipping off that sucker. So Lord, I need, to, I need that painted. So I'm asking for all this stuff, right? Then the script, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you to do something. If you feel like you have a scripture that you've learned and that you go, it's not really working like that. I've been asking. It doesn't really work. I want you to take a step back and read like the first five or ten scriptures into it and then read the five or ten scriptures past it. Because these are not like little Chinese proverbs you can pick out and go, bam! Yeah, I want it, so I'm asking. It says it right there. No, 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 no. Let's keep going. You don't have what you don't want because you don't ask, that. You don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. Another translation actually says, you only ask so you can spend on indulgences. That changes the context for me of when I go to the Lord and say, God, I need something. See how petty the lottery numbers kind of seem at the moment when he says your motives are all wrong? We ask for the wrong things. We're asking for things from the wrong motive because we want them for us. And nine times out of ten, I'll just say it for myself, nine times out of ten, before I would read past the scripture and just ask for the things, I didn't really want the thing. I wanted to look good to all the people around me that God would give me the thing and would put me in a position of the Pharisee. 100% honest, full transparency, nine times out of 10, maybe eight times out of 10, that's what I was after. I wanted everybody to look and go, dang, Matt walks with God because look what God has been doing for him. And in essence, I really wanted the same thing the Pharisee wanted. It was a hard pill to swallow when I realized I had more in line with the Pharisee than the disciples. And when I realized that, it was a bitter pill to swallow, but it changed the way I talked to my Heavenly Father. I asked according to His will and not what I was after. Last but not, not least, prayer brings peace. Prayer brings peace. <clears throat> Philippians 4, verse 6 through 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will 
experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. This is another one of those scriptures I heard a lot as a kid. I want that peace that passes all understanding. How do I get that? I don't worry. Instead, I pray. I tell God what I need and thank Him for everything that He has done. Those are the qualifications for peace that passes all understanding. Um, so my question tonight is, is anybody in this room praying for something that is, um, you don't have to tell me, I'm just asking her a question for you to ask yourself. And as we spend a moment here with the Lord, to have him speak to us, are you praying for something that you go, is this something I should still be praying about? The answer is yes. If your motive is pure, if you pray a prayer of faith, if we're truly asking for what the Lord wants us to have instead of what we are selfishly after, continue to pray, continue to talk to the Lord, continue to pursue Him, remove all the superficial steps that it seems like we need to have to get that thing answered. No. Let's get away from that systemic garbage and move to the point where I walk into my dad and go, hey, can I talk to you for a second? I don't know how many I have children. I know y'all don't, but I mean like, <clears throat> I don't know about everybody and their child status. But I love the fact when my boy walks in my room and says, Dad, can I talk to you for a second? My wife will tell, tell you that it's probably a little bit of a fault of mine, but it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I'm up. Yes, what? What, do, what can I do? What can I do? I, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. What, what do you need? And then he makes his request known, and I go, I can't do that, but I can do this because that's probably going to wind up bad. But how about this? Direct him in a different way. The heart of the father, if I act like that for my own son, a Pharisee who has a lot of his life prayed for things just so I can look okay in front of other people, who has a heart that I had to ask God to really purge because of the selfish nature that I had come, I had developed even in ministry. If I will jump up for my son like that, how does the almighty God who loves, who gives, who is 100% pure, how is his response to when his kids ask something according to his will, with the right motives, not thinking there's some system to work their dad to get what they want so they can look good, but honest relationship. This is what I want, God. If you deem it to be good, holy and right, can you answer this prayer right here for me according to what I'm seeing in your word? This is what I'm asking. That prayer 
is the one I'm going to encourage you to pursue from this point forward. Because it is the prayer that shows you have a relationship with that God. He wants to talk to you. And it is one wild cheat code gift for everything that we would possibly need.